time to take the next step with Looney Libis. Step 7. You're wrong. In the world of startups, the most important lesson that we've learned in the past three or four decades is that your plan is wrong. Now, what I mean by that is that no matter how many times you iterate your plans, your business plan, your financial model, your marketing plan, your sales plan, everything, no matter how many times you make it better, it's still wrong. It's still not the plan that is going to turn into success. That is three or four or a hundred iterations in front of you. If you truly understand what that means, then you'll approach this idea of starting a startup in a whole new way. Instead of planning for success, you'll plan for failure. And I don't mean you'll plan to fail. No, of course not. You'll plan that there's a flaw in your plan, and it's your job to figure it out as soon as you can so that you can try something new, and guess what? That's going to fail too. What you have to understand is that the path from idea to success includes a ton of failures, a ton of ideas that are wrong, a ton of ideas that you've tried that turn out to be wrong. And the companies that come out the other end, the successful companies that you hear about all the time, those are the ones that survive that sequence of failures. Those are the ones that found a way to figure out what was wrong as quickly as possible and try something new before that failure killed them. That is the big idea that has changed startups in the last few decades. So how do you go about planning for failure? Well, it doesn't mean you don't build a business plan. There's a lot of people out there that say the days of business plans are over. Well, you know what? They're wrong. In the world where your business plan is wrong, it's imperative that you know what plan B might be because you're going to be on plan B next week. So here's what I do to teach people how to plan for failure. It starts with a tool called the Business Model Canvas. You can go online, you can find a ton of tools that will explain to you this toolkit called the Business Model Canvas. What the author tells you in the book is that it's a way to describe your business model. What I'm here to tell you is that it's actually an amazing tool to figure out what's wrong with your business and to figure out what plan B and plan C and plan D might just be. So here's what you do. You fill it out, just like the author says. But don't put more than three things in any one box, because then the next thing you're going to do is pick out a box and cross out everything. You're going to assume you tried it, and it didn't work. Because you know what? When you actually start a company, you're going to try things, and they're not going to work. Okay, but... You're sitting here on paper doing business planning, and what you can do in the next hour or two or three is come up with plan B. What are you going to do to keep this company going even though these three big ideas didn't work? And that could be the three ideas in the revenue box. It could be the three ideas in the channel box. It could be the three ideas in the partner box. But you're going to figure out how to move it forward, and then guess what? As soon as you figure that out, you're going to pick another box and you're going to cross those out and you're going to assume those didn't work either. You're going to keep doing this for a few boxes and then you're going to go back to the beginning on whatever you had then and you're going to start on a different spot in a different box and cross those off and follow down that path and see where that leads. And you're going to keep doing this until it makes no more sense to do it, until you're out of ideas. It shouldn't take you more than two, three, four hours. 
The result of this process is a whole bunch of new ideas. Sometimes when I do this with entrepreneurs, they come up with an entirely new MVP. Sometimes they come with an entirely new revenue stream. Sometimes they have a new business model. Sometimes they go after a different customer segment. Sometimes nothing changes, except that now they have all these ideas for what plan B, plan C, plan D, plan E just might be. Because you know what? They're going to need them. The second thing I do with entrepreneurs is that I push them and push them and push them to unpack any assumptions that they have that they don't even know are assumptions. And my favorite story of all of this goes over to Zambia in Africa, a company called Zamgoat. Entrepreneur came here as part of Fledge, my conscious company accelerator, and he was flabbergasted by the idea that Americans don't eat goats. Goat is the delicacy of Zambia. So he was stuck with the assumption that everyone in the world loves goats, right? Talk about opportunity size. He saw America as 300 million people who should be eating goats. Well, that's not the assumption I want to talk about. It's the assumption I had. Because with this entrepreneur, I went online to research Zambia to understand its market. And everything online told me that there was this huge number of cattle, a lesser number of goats, And then way, way, way down further were pigs and chickens and every other kind of animal. So from this data, I had the assumption that in Zambia, when people had enough money to eat meat, they ate beef and goat and only the other animals on rare occasion. But no, the entrepreneur who was native Zambian, he said, no, no, the people don't eat the goats. The goats are the wealth. So what's interesting about Zambian culture is that most people are farmers. And around the farm, they don't herd goats. They just have goats. And the more goats you have, the more value, the more wealth you have. It's kind of like driving a big SUV or having a boat or an even bigger mansion than your neighbors, right? The more goats you have, the wealthier you are. And so if you eat the goats, it's like eating your SUV. You would never do that. Okay, that's still not the assumption that was interesting. And we worked on his business plan for weeks, trying to figure out the optimal way to work through this culture where people who might need money and have goats would sell them to us and we could then slaughter them and turn them into into food for the up-and-coming middle-class Zambians. All right, so weeks and weeks went by, and I still had the assumption that beef was the number one kind of meat in Zambia. And the entrepreneur never fixed that assumption until one day, we're working on the slides for Demo Day, And he shows me a slide of an ox pulling a plow with two kids behind it. And I turned to him and I said, well, wait, all that cattle that's listed out there, those aren't meat. Those are the plows. And he turns to me and he said, of course. And I said, you can't eat those once they're old and dead, right? And he said, no, of course not. So my assumption just broke down right there. What actually happens in Zambia is that people don't get to eat meat. That that small number of pigs and chickens and other animals, that's actually the meat consumption. That nobody eats the cattle and nobody eats the goats and really nobody gets to eat meat in the entire country. And that completely changed the way that I saw this business. And yet it took us weeks until that assumption was thrown up onto the table and dissected and pulled apart. And at the same time, this entrepreneur was unpacking his assumption for weeks on end, 
that, you know what? Americans don't have to eat goats, that there's actually other animals that we would prefer to eat other goats, and that his opportunity size of 300 million people disappeared before his eyes. This is what I mean by unpacking assumptions. And I'll bet you have two or three assumptions in your plan that maybe are not quite as amusing as that, but are just as deep and important to your business plan as his assumption of goats was to his business plan. Your job is to try and figure out what they are. And as long as we're unpacking and debunking assumptions, let's go one more step and get rid of that assumption that you have a great idea. Because you probably don't. I know, I know, you probably think you have a great idea. You might even think it's the best idea that's ever been. But you know what? It, it's not, right? I meet entrepreneurs all the time, almost every day, and most of them think they have a great idea, the greatest of all time, right? Hence, I've been an entrepreneur for almost 30 years. I've been in your shoes. I know exactly how that feels. Well, here's how you can get a great idea. If you embrace failure and you embrace the idea that your plan is wrong and you embrace the idea that you need to iterate to find the great idea, find the pieces that you can give up that will move you forward. And sometimes this is really painful to do. To help teach this to my entrepreneurs, there's a video I show. It's the backstory of Box Trolls. You can find it on YouTube. In Box Trolls, it's an animated movie and it's based on a book, but the movie really has nothing to do with the book. Instead, what they describe, what the screenwriters describe is the path they took to get to the movie. They wrote one scene. They took the characters out of this book. They wrote a scene. They fell in love with this scene, and they wrapped an entire movie around this first initial scene. And then, because it's an animated movie, they storyboarded the entire thing. It takes years to make this kind of movie. And then you know what? When they did the final edit to put together the final movie, guess what? That one scene that they all fell in love with, it didn't work in the flow of the movie and they cut it. So the moral of this story is sometimes the part that you love, the part that got you into this in the first place, it needs to go. Sometimes you got to let go of the good parts in order to get to the great parts. And that's enough about failure for this week. Next week, we'll get back on track and talk about the competition. Until then.